My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Elizabeth Morrison is an award-winning professor at the NYU Stern School of Business, where she teaches courses in leadership, negotiation, and organizational behavior. Elizabeth researches how employees behave proactively at work and how proactive behavior facilitates career success and improves organizational effectiveness. Her research also focuses on employee voice and silence, and in particular, the reasons why employees are often reluctant to speak up about problems and concerns. Elizabeth earned a BA in psychology from Brown University and a PhD in organizational behavior from Northwestern. I hope you enjoy learning from Elizabeth Morrison today, because I always do. Elizabeth, it's so great to catch up with you again today. A couple of years ago, my colleagues and I published a paper on voice and amplification in AMJ. And I have to say, as we were writing and revising that paper, we so often imagined that we were writing to you because you have done such great work in the voice literature. We wanted to write something that we hoped that you would be proud of. Uh, so it's great to be able to chat with you today. Oh, thank you. That's really flattering. And that, I love that paper. I think you just hit on something so so important and so interesting and, and really um, just admire that paper in particular and your work more broadly. Well, I am really happy to hear that because we did spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, as you think back on your own research, Elizabeth, are there one to two, three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass along to others? Sure. So there are three lessons that I think stand out most distinctly from my research over many years, my my whole career, you know, my whole career. Uh, in various ways, my work has focused on issues around proactivity, ways in which people step up, take initiative, um, take action rather than being just a, a passive recipient. And so, you know, I think the, the first lesson that really stands out for me is just the importance of being proactive. And while that might sound obvious, I think it is so easy for all of us. I certainly see this in myself of, kind of waiting for things to come to you, um, not always recognizing that you may need to seek out information, ask how you're doing, seek out advice, volunteer for, for you know, something, raise your hand, step up to the plate, um, you know, really actively work on managing and building your network, um, you know, and actively managing your career more broadly rather than just kind of waiting and, and seeing what comes your way. Um, and so that to me is lesson one. Yeah, I think that is, it's something that keeps coming up a lot more just in even the last like five years for me. And maybe part of it stems from uh, the fact that I'm teaching leadership now. So uh, in leadership, we talk about the proactive personality and to be a leader, you, you know, I, I was interviewing Stephen M.R. Covey, who is the son of Stephen Covey, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And Stephen said, you know, leaders go first and that's being proactive. And then, and maybe another reason why I've been thinking about this is when I was at Notre Dame, I um, was there with Mike Krant, researcher who had developed the proactive personality scale. And 
And so this is, again, something I've been thinking about a lot. Do you have projects on the pro on being proactive? And what is it about your research that has got you thinking about the importance of proactivity? Oh, my goodness. I get into that in so many ways. Um, you know, the, the proactive personality uh, idea and Mike Cran's work in you know, particular that's been so influential, it really highlights that there's there are differences. Some of us are just more naturally proactive than others. Um, so it's kind of part of our personality. But I also think an analogy can be made with leadership too, right? That some of us are maybe just more naturally equipped to be leader, leaders, but leadership is also a choice and being proactive is also a choice. And so I think to me, that's a more empowering idea than just, oh, I'm not a really proactive person and therefore I'm going to be more passive. It's no, I can make a choice and I can maybe won't come as naturally to me as someone else, but but it's something you can do, um, you know, in, in any context. You know, this is something that really goes back to my earliest work as, as a doctoral student, my dissertation, I was really interested in, I became interested in feedback seeking and this idea that, um, you know, and this was, this was really kind of paradigm shifting at the time, this idea that feedback isn't just this resource that managers give to employees, but that all of us at work, um, it's something valuable to us and that we are, can be better performers and better able to meet our own personal goals if we're actively seeking out feedback. Um, and, and so that was kind of my initial work. And then I broadened that to really be interested in you know, a situation of change um, and spe the specific context I looked at is when you're coming in as a new person to a new organization and you don't know anything about how things work and, um, and you're trying to kind of get up to speed. And, you know, a lot of the research that have been done to date talked about how new people have to be kind of shaped, you know, the organization has to figure out how to teach them where, which, and my work, my dissertation work was looking at how new employees, newcomers themselves need to be actively seeking out different types of information. And what my work showed was that those people who were more proactive in that process were actually adjusted more quickly and more easily and were, were more effective early on. And so I think that's been sort of a theme throughout my work as I've looked at different types of, you know, whether it's advice seeking or information seeking or feedback seeking or network building, all things that, uh, you know, all the research kind of demonstrating that people that do more of that are um, more likely to be effective. Very interesting to hear that this is kind of under the umbrella of so much of the work you've done that being proactive. And I love this idea of leadership is a choice and being proactive is a choice. And there are just so many benefits from being proactive. Uh, okay, great lesson. Any other lesson? I guess you said you had three. So uh, I have three. And, yes. And, and lessons two and three are closely related, but I'll, I'll talk about them separately. So the, the second one is the ease of remaining silent. In other words, kind of this lesson that it is it is just so easy for us to not say something that really should or needs to be said. Um, I think there are just so many barriers to speaking up and my work on, you know, was kind of taking the flip side of proactive. It's, it's how we often are not proactive, but we often don't speak up about problems, concerns, issues, um, misconduct. There are so many barriers to this, psychological barriers, social barriers, structural, cultural. And I think in some ways that's an important lesson of realizing that we are, in a sense, wired often to not have difficult conversations, not to say something that might 
create discomfort or disharmony or that might jeopardize our, uh, you know, our careers in some way. Um, and, and in some senses, kind of our default, particularly in a hierarchical relationship, is to keep our mouth shut. Um, so that's kind of a lesson that has come through of just how powerful all those forces are to causing us to sit by and not say things. Um, and then that relates to, to lesson three, which is the, the dangers of remaining silent and, and kind of those go hand in hand. So this is something that is kind of is a, a very real phenomena, this, this tendency towards not voicing, uh, but that being really, really dangerous, uh, particularly if you think about the things, you know, injustice, mistreatment, uh, misconduct that people are particularly likely to not speak up about and the implications for um, for organizations, but also for individuals who can be victims of uh, abuse and, and injustice. I think this is, this is another topic that's been coming up a lot, probably because I'm teaching ethics. And so we talk about the importance of standing up for what you believe in and voicing. And I've been interviewing uh, one of my best friends all through childhood. He, he was my scout master and mentor and ended up working at the uh, lab in Los Alamos as a nuclear engineer. And he was telling me the other day that uh, well, and let me back up. I always admire him because he's one of these people that always just stands up for what he believes is right, regardless of the consequences. And what he was saying is that he misses a lot of the social cues. He doesn't realize that you're not supposed to stand up, that there's all this social pressure. And so, for example, he was working for this large uh, oil company and uh, one of the trucks at the company didn't have brakes. Um but you, you just had to regulate your speed through downshifting, but they wouldn't repair the brakes. And so when the um, safety inspector came out and, and said, you know, are there any problems? My friend raises his hand and says, you know, our truck doesn't have brakes. And all of his colleagues are like, what are you doing? You Don't you know, like, aren't you in on this thing? We're not supposed to say anything. But he was so, in, in his words, he's so naive to the social cues around him that he would just always voice when there was a problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is interesting for many of us who are aware of these social dynamics, there's yeah. so much pressure to not voice and, and not speak up. And and one thing I remember, even as a child, my my parents would teach me, you know, if, if something is wrong, uh, you know, somebody does something bad, then, you know, and if you get caught, you confess and whatever. And I remember in, in like middle school, or maybe even as early as elementary, there was this idea of a snitch and how the snitch is the worst thing. And it just was like so hard to reconcile in my mind mm -hmm. because like, wait, I, I thought, you know, telling the truth is a, is a good thing. And so we get all this social pressure to. Exactly. And these mixed messages, uh, you know, I think this gets indoctrinated into us, you know, throughout I mean, from an early age of whether it's don't be a snitch to, you know, respect authority, don't talk back, don't, don't challenge your teacher, your, you know, religious leader, your parents. And so I think we do get socialized to withhold. And of course, that's as social creatures, we have to be able to regulate what we shouldn't say anything that just comes to our right. mind. So we have that, you know, that is functional in some senses. I think, though, it all can very easily change to dysfunctional and dangerous when we are not speaking up about things like the breaks that aren't um, that aren't working. And right. that's that's such a I mean, such a, a kind of terrifying, but also I think really telling story 
in the first paper that I wrote on this phenomena of organizational silence, where we talk very much about those social cues and that uh, social dynamics, we started that, Francis Milliken and I wrote that paper and we started with the, the the tale of you know the emperor who had no clothes and you know it's this little boy who doesn't know better than to speak up who you know calls out the obvious and um i think that's something while it's a kind of a fable it's it's all too real for uh for many of us that we everyone knows <laughs> the brakes aren't working and yet it, because other people aren't saying anything we keep our mouths shut as well yeah, so what a great analogy. Yeah, the, the emperor has no clothes. That's a perfect example of this issue of uh, so many of us get caught up on these social norms that we don't state the obvious. Any advice for people on how to overcome this? Uh, what What does your research show on how, how can people take initiative and be more, more proactive in voicing when they're feeling the pressure not to? Yeah, I, you know, I, that's, I think a, that's a tough question. I think we, uh, I don't think we have complete answers to that. Uh, but what I would say is, uh, what is encouraging is, is some of the work that has been looking at, at a more, at a more nuanced level of, of understanding what are the what are the situational factors that are going to make it more or less likely that you will be heard, that you will not be punished? Um, and that's about thinking about, you know, the, the timing and who you're speaking to and how you're how you're speaking up and and really realizing that, you know, maybe something that needs to be said, maybe it's not the best thing to raise that in a meeting with lots of people. Maybe you should start with a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, but then there's also recognizing that voice is going to be a process and simply speaking up once you may need to engage in it multiple times. And I think your work on amplification kind of speaks to that process of it sometimes takes iterations and other, you know, more than one person. It's a collective process um, of um, having your voice heard. So I think another piece of advice is really think about what allies you might have, other people that might be willing to um, you know, support you or speak up with you and, and not feeling like, particularly in a high stakes situation, of feeling like you're just out there on your own. Great way to think about it in terms of the context. We, we might feel like, oh, I have to voice right now in this moment because somebody said something or did something that is not okay, but being thoughtful about, well, how will this be received? And is there a better time and place? And then great, you know, which allies uh, might I want to seek out and and get help from? Uh, well, I, I love these lessons. I think they are things that all of us can probably improve on. And before we hit record, you mentioned a quote, uh, the distinction between, if you want to finish that quote, I just, I, I love that quote. Oh, yes. So, you know, we were talking about how some of these lessons and thinking about they're, they're, they're not something that that are profoundly new that nobody has thought about before. And I know and you mentioned that, you know, in our field, we often get perhaps uh, some criticism or or at least we have some self-consciousness around the fact that some a lot of our ideas seem obvious you know you should be proactive okay that's obvious you should speak up when you see problems that's obvious but it was a, a quote that I heard and I don't know who to attribute this to of uh, this distinction between common sense and common practice and so a lot of 
I think the things that we uh, are working in organizational behavior highlights, somebody can say, well, that's common sense, but it's not common practice. And so that raises the question, if this is something that is so obvious, why is it not something that we're doing? And so it suggests that there's knowing and doing are not necessarily the same thing. Well, I love that quote. I love that idea. And your lessons are just perfect for this podcast in terms of simple, practical, underappreciated. And I had never heard that quote before between common sense and common practice. And so that's something that I will take away from this interview as well. So I just appreciate you, Elizabeth, sharing your time with me. Thank you so much for sharing these lessons. And I look forward to sharing these lessons with my students and children and others. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. I love the lessons Elizabeth shared today. First, be proactive. It's easy for us to be passive, to wait for things to come to us. But when we proactively seek out information, proactively build our network, and proactively volunteer our time, we set ourselves up for success. Some of us are naturally more proactive than others, but being proactive is a choice, as Elizabeth reminds us. Second, it's easy to remain silent when something needs to be said, but there is danger in remaining silent, especially in the presence of injustice, mistreatment, and misconduct. From a young age, we're socialized to not be a snitch, to not talk back, and to not challenge authority figures. But by paying attention to situational factors and seeking out allies, we can more effectively voice. As Elizabeth said, there's a distinction between common sense and common practice. Knowing and doing are not the same thing. But Elizabeth has motivated me to try to be more proactive, especially in the presence of misconduct. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thanks for your support.